Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. Why are you here? Because you're amazing! And we mortals have heard of the tale of the crab who became a legend. And I just had to know how you became so crab. You must. Are you just trying to get me to talk about myself? Because if you are, I will gladly do so. Huh? In song form! Fibble Diorama hasn't always been this glam. I was a drab little pod once. Now I know I can be happy as a clown. Moana's beautiful baby. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 55, Moana. I hope you're all continuing to be safe and well and as always thank you for joining me for yet another episode and thanks as well to uh, everyone for the incredibly positive response to Galaxy Quest. Uh, Galaxy Quest was an absolute blast to record with Andy from Geek Salad. He's a good mate and if you did listen you'll know that he's probably going to be returning next year uh probably for another classic movie from 1999 because we can't seem to help ourselves um but it was a genuine delight to have Andy on the podcast again um as I mentioned he's already been on once before for Mystery Men and uh people have responded so positively to Galaxy Quest and to be honest I think that's because it's Galaxy Quest uh Galaxy Quest is still it's so beloved by so many people and, and quite rightly so I've also been on a bit of a break uh, which is why this episode is actually a week later than planned it also means that an episode has had to be removed from August schedule um, but I have managed to pop that in a bit later on in the year instead I never like to take a break I never like to feel like I'm letting people down um but I kind of reached a point where I had to, um, mainly for kind of health concerns more than anything, because, you know, newsflash, <laughs> uh, I do a lot. Um, I do everything for this podcast um, and I'm also incredibly busy at work as well. So uh, everything had just kind of gotten on top of me and, and I just felt, kind of felt like I needed to take a bit of a break. So, uh, but I am back. Uh, I am back to talk about Moana. And Moana is a movie that I'll admit that I didn't actually see at the cinema. Moana completely passed me by. Um, I actually ended up catching it on streaming uh, a few years back and I just fell in love with it completely. Um, I'd already seen Zootopia, uh, aka Zootropolis. It's called Zootropolis here. Um, so I saw Zootopia first um, and I was completely wowed by that. And then I saw Moana and... I honestly thought at that point, this is Disney back at their A-game. 
and 2016 was a phenomenally good year for Disney uh, with obviously both Zootopia and Moana coming out in the same year. Unfortunately, that didn't bode so well for Moana when it came to awards, but we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, and just for the record, I rate both Zootopia and Moana much higher than Frozen. I do like Frozen. Um, I think it's great. I think it's got a great message, uh, especially for young girls. Um, but overall, I think it's pretty standard. Uh, I also think Wreck-It Ralph is pretty special. Um, and that's kind of the classic gamer geek in me. But Moana is honestly, for me, the Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast levels of greatness. Um, and it's also another Alan Tudyk movie on Verbal Diorama. Uh, Alan has featured quite a lot recently. Um, I'm a big fan of Alan Tudyk, but he's probably not going to be back for a while. I'm actually struggling to think of anything that's coming up in the schedule that does actually feature Alan Tudyk. I don't think there is anything. So he's had a period of, he's been quite prolific on Verbal Diorama, but coming up, I don't think there's actually anything else for Alan going forward. Ah, maybe, maybe start of next year, actually thinking of it. Yeah think Alan will be back start of next year um but uh, <laughs> anyway uh so uh make way make way for Moana um and it's gonna be very hard for me not to sing all the way through this episode by the way for generations this peaceful island has been home to our family but beyond our reef a great danger is coming Legend tells of a hero who will journey to find the demigod Maui. And together, they will save us all. of the wind and sea i am hero a... of men what it's actually maui shapeshifter demigod of the wind and sea hero of men i interrupted from the top hero of men go i'm not going on a mission with some little girl this is my canoe and you will journey to death did not see that coming the ocean is a friend of mine First, we've got to go through a whole ocean of bad. Kakamora. Kako, what? They're kind of cute. Ah! <laughs> I got your back. It's Maui time. Really? Blow dart in my butt cheek. We're going to the realm of monsters? Don't worry, it's a lot farther down than it looks. incurred by the demigod Maui reaches Moana's Polynesian island Mutanui, she answers the ocean's call to seek out Maui to set things right. Moana finds Maui, who believes himself a hero of the people rather than the villain who stole the heart of Tefiti. He guides her in her quest to become a master wayfinder. Together they sail across the open ocean in an action-packed voyage, encountering enormous monsters and impossible odds to restore Tefiti's heart. The cast of this movie, uh, we have... Orly Cravalho as Moana, Dwayne Johnson as Maui, Rachel House as Tala, Temuera Morrison as Tui, uh, Christopher Jackson provides his singing voice, uh, you may remember him as George Washington in Hamilton, we're going to talk about Hamilton a little bit later, <laughs> but uh, we've got Jermaine Clement as Tamatoa, Nicole Scherzinger as Cena, and Alan Tudyk as Hey Hey, 
Alan Tudyk is the only non-Polynesian member of the primary cast. Um, additionally, so the vast majority of the cast, uh, pretty much all of those people, apart from Alan Tudyk, um, are of Polynesian descent. And most of the cast actually reprise their roles in other language versions of Moana. So Orly Cravalo and Nicole Scherzinger reprise their roles in the Hawaiian language version. And Rachel House, Jermaine Clement and Temuera Morrison in their Maori language version. Uh, the screenplay was by Jared Bush and the story by Chris Williams, Don Hall, Paula Ribbon, Aaron Kendall, Jordan Candle, Ron Clements and John Musker. The music, which I will talk about later because how can I not talk about the music in Moana, is by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Opataya Faoi and Mark Mancina. And Moana was directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. Obviously, Ron Clements and John Musker, you may remember them from such episodes as, um, but <laughs> I'll come back to that. Uh, so after directing The Princess and the Frog in 2009, John Musker and Ron Clements started working on an adaptation of Terry Pratchett's Mort. But the rights to Discworld were sold as a package and Disney didn't want to invest in the full franchise. So Mort was cancelled. Musker and Clements instead pitched three new ideas to Disney, one of which was the bare bones for Moana, which at that point wasn't even about Moana, uh, but more on that in a little bit. So just to go over quickly the illustrious history of Musker and Clements in their 40 plus years at Disney, they also directed Basil the Great Mouse Detective, that was with Bernie Mattinson and Dave Michener, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, see episode 9 of this podcast, Hercules, Treasure Planet, see episode 36 of this podcast, and The Princess and the Frog. With this episode on Moana, it makes them the second most featured directors on Verbal Diorama after Hayao Miyazaki. And that is quite a feat. <laughs> really, really genuinely is. Um, so John Musker had read novels from Melville and Conrad about the various islands of the South Pacific. And he was fascinated by the exotic landscapes and the fact that the stories of Polynesian myths mixed with the rich, vibrant setting had never really been explored all that much, um, especially in Western storytelling. He started reading more into Polynesian mythology and discovered the rich vein of storytelling and specifically the character of Maui, the trickster demigod cultural hero who many Pacific Islanders believe created the islands they called home by pulling them out of the sea. So Musker suggested the stories to Ron Clements and together they pitched a basic outline to Disney head John Lasseter who liked the idea and suggested the pair undertake a research trip to the region to meet with the people who lived on these islands, to understand their culture, their very philosophies of life. They met with village elders, as well as Polynesian experts in anthropology, archaeology, linguistics and Polynesian mythology and shaped their story around the stories that they were being told by the people that they were meeting. Indeed, in the five years it took for Moana to go from that initial idea to screen, an oceanic story trust was set up to comment on the cultural accuracy, the mythological aspects and also the sensitivity aspect of a team of primarily white crew tackling a story rooted in Polynesian culture. The thing is, despite the Oceanic Story Trust's advice, which was only ever advice, as Captain Barbosa might say, more guidelines than actual rules, there are some parts of Moana that are, shall we say, a little bit problematic. And that still caused offence to some Polynesian people. But I'm going to come back to that a bit later. Um, the original idea was more or less thrown out. Uh, the only retained character was Maui. Um, the story was essentially going to be about Maui, but Maui wasn't to be the central hero of the story anymore. They were fascinated by the stories of how the Pacific Islanders were voyagers who thousands of years ago would travel on small wooden canoes, hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles, with obviously no modern navigation systems to find their way, relying on following things like constellations. These were feats of navigation that were achieved thousands of years before the Vikings or modern seafaring explorers, and they wanted this to be the main feature of the story. And then they found out about the long pause. You see, Pacific Islanders had been navigating the seas and voyaging to new places, but about 3,000 years ago, their voyages just stopped. The reasons for the long pause remain unknown. Climate change and shifts in ocean currents and wind patterns have been mooted as reasons, but a thousand years later, the voyaging started up again. 
And this thousand year period isn't specifically mentioned in Moana, but it seems to be set during this period. And Maui stealing the heart of Tafiti and causing the blight which affects the oceans and islands and Moana's subsequent quest to restore it makes the ocean safe enough for voyaging once more. Um, it also goes without saying that this isn't the first time Disney have set an animated movie in the Pacific Islands. Obviously, Lilo and Stitch was set in Hawaii. The first draft screenplay of Moana was written by Taika Waititi, who's of Maori heritage himself. And that focused on Moana as the only daughter in a family with five or six brothers and her gender played a part in the story. Uh, and this has historically been the case not only in Disney, where a princess must marry a prince in order to achieve X or Y, Waititi left the project early on in development to work on what we do in the shadows and admits very little of his original screenplay remains. There would obviously be no black blood between him and Disney uh, soon after Marvel would hire him for Thor Ragnarok. Subsequent drafts included Moana's father as the navigator and another where he's lost at sea and Moana must go on a quest to find him. But it was quickly decided that he would instead be the opposing force behind Moana's wayfinding ambitions and only a hint of his backstory would remain in the finished movie. But it would be the reason why he was so protective of his only child venturing out into the ocean. Although this is a Musker and Clements movie and they are credited as the directors, uh, Chris Williams and Don Hall are credited as co-directors. About midway, a year and a half through production, they were having issues with the story, which didn't seem to be gelling as well as the animation process was. Williams and Hall, who'd just come off Big Hero 6, started reshaping the story as a coming-of-age tale about a 16-year-old chief's daughter, just as Musker and Clements were directing the animation division. It was the involvement of Williams and Hall that helped find Moana and helped you see through her eyes and put you in her mindset. 90 animators were used to animate Moana, not just the character, the movie. Um, it's going to get confusing when I mention Moana, whether I'm talking about the character or the movie. In this case, it's the movie Moana, uh, many of whom were in their first animation jobs for Disney. And because two sets of directors were effectively working on the project, a lot started to happen in a short period of time. This was Musker and Clement's first computer-generated animated movie, uh, although there was some suggestion early in the process to make it completely hand-drawn. Um, and there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding the production for them, especially when it came to them learning a whole new way of directing computer-generated animation as opposed to the traditional 2D hand-drawn animation that they were used to. Um, and they had worked with CG elements in hand-drawn animation before, um, as I mentioned in the episode I did on Treasure Planet. And also Aladdin had a few small CG elements, such as carpet and the lava, but Moana would be fully computer-generated. Moana wouldn't be done in the traditional way of storyboarding, laying them out, animating each frame, painting the backgrounds and colouring. With a full CG rendering of the character, composition and backgrounds, the ability to change framing, camera locations, angle shots, etc., all became a brand new possibility, which added an infinite layer of complexity on an already technically vast project. A considerable amount of animation could be produced in a short time compared to traditional animation, but there were still limitations on what each character could viably achieve. Each transition had to be programmed, such as Maui's transformations, to the point where the animators limited the number of times he could transform due to the inability of the character to move during transformation. Instead of previously where they'd used a majority of traditional 2D animation with computer-generated parts, in Moana they'd flip that and use a majority CG with 2D animated sections. But not only that, they'd use a fusion of effects and character animations to bring the ocean, a character in its own right, to life. 2D animation supervisor Eric Goldberg conceptualised pencil animated storyboards exploring the ocean's personality, inspired by the storyboards of Chris Williams. Goldberg himself has had an illustrious career at Disney, working as a lead animator for Genie in Aladdin, supervising animator for Hercules, as well as co-directing Pocahontas and two segments of Fantasia 2000. And it was Eric Goldberg who created Mini Maui. So Mini Maui is the name they gave Maui's sentient hand-drawn tattoos. Uh, and this is where the 2D and 3D animation styles fuse together most obviously, as Minnie Maui interacts with a computer-generated world seamlessly. You would never know if no one told you that Minnie Maui was hand-drawn. You would never know. Um, and in a way, that's both good and bad, because I think it's great that Minnie Maui is hand-drawn animation. 
but the fact that you can't tell is hand-drawn, I'm kind of a bit irked by that. It's worth noting as well that in Polynesian culture, um, tattoos denote experiences, rank and social status. The joint animation teams created a water rig, it was called Gretchen, and a water solver tool set called Splash, so that the layout team could see and define the behaviour of the ocean within a given sequence and control the water effectively during different scenarios. And obviously Moana and the water and the ocean specifically goes through a, a process. Many different styles of water are contained within Moana. Um, it's not just a shoreline, uh, a beach. It's also stormy waters. It's also deep water. It's also lagoons. Um, and additionally, Disney also developed a new program for hair called Quicksilver. Uh, to make the character hair, especially that of Maui, to be more expressive and choreographed. Um, the most difficult character to animate was Takar, the lava monster, who combined fire, smoke, lava, rock and lightning effects. They had difficulty animating her smoke as the Takar animated model would back into herself due to the smoke. Um, so what they had to do was they had to kind of program the model of Takar to ignore the smoke, so to speak. And many of the young animation team relished the opportunity to work with Musker and Clements, who recalled their days working with the likes of Frank Thomas back in the 70s and 80s as they were starting out in the animation industry at Disney. So it was a little bit of a circle of life kind of thing to quote The Lion King. <laughs> um, the casting process for Moana involved hundreds of young women from across the Pacific Islands. As I mentioned, the majority of cast are of Polynesian descent. The then 14-year-old Hawaiian, Orly Cravalo, was the last person to audition for Moana. And who I think we can all agree is a revelation in this movie. And as I said earlier, provided the voice for the Hawaiian language version of Moana. Uh, Moana was also dubbed into Maori and Tahitian. Uh, it was only the second time the company had released a dub specifically for the culture in which it inspired. The first was a Zulu dub of The Lion King. Oh, and I've just mentioned the circle of life. So there we go. The circle of life is complete because I've just mentioned The Lion King again. Um, the name of the movie in most places is Moana. Uh, Moana means ocean. Uh, but in many European countries, the movie and the character are called Viana due to a trademark conflict. And in Italy, it's Oceana because Moana is the name of a very prolific adult actress in the country. And Disney obviously didn't want their family-friendly image linked to someone who acts in decidedly not-so-family-friendly fare. Moana's story isn't linked to Polynesian culture uh, in the same way that Coco's is kind of directly linked to Mexican culture. Moana's story is the standard, and I use this in inverted commas, princess story of old, except her goal isn't to marry a prince, but to go on a quest in which she learns about her culture and the history of her people. The actual Polynesian culture isn't part of the story it's more the setting of the story and I want to talk about Polynesian culture the things that they got right uh, and the controversy surrounding Moana's interpretation of the culture in a bit but first I think it's important to highlight the evolution of the Disney princess because Moana while technically the chief's daughter is canonically a Disney princess She's marketed as such in Disney's highly lucrative princess line of merchandise. Um, Maui actually mentions that she is technically a princess uh, because she has an animal sidekick. And Moana herself uh, is the fifth Disney princess of colour. And that is after Jasmine, Mulan, Tiana and Pocahontas. And we are going to talk about Pocahontas in a little bit as well. Um, and while canonically not a princess... Esmeralda from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, she is a minority Romani character. Historically, Disney princesses have been very white. And it's only recently that Disney have realised that diversity is important, not only from a societal point of view, uh, to represent the children who look up to and want representation from a princess who looks like them, but also very much from a business point of view. Uh, representation is important. But it's important to note that Disney will always err to the side of profit making. And this is why the accusations of cultural appropriation are never too far away. But again, I'm kind of going big back and forth because I will come to that. Because on the whole, I think Moana as a movie and as a character is really, really important and really, really special. Um, Moana 
is a really great character. And I think all credit for that goes to Orly Cravalho for making Moana curious, but always kind-hearted. Um, when she herself, and I'm talking about Orly Cravalho, she was so young. She was 14 years old when she got this role. She was 15 years old when she performed the role. Um, and for a 15-year-old to be that great uh, and to sing that wonderfully as well, um, she is so brilliant. Um, and even when faced with Maui's ego and tricks um, and also kind of up against someone like Dwayne Johnson, they never recorded in the same room. Their recordings were done separately. Um, but for her to know that she was going to be up against uh, someone like Dwayne Johnson, and I'll always admit to being a fan of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I think his charisma and screen presence really comes across pretty much in everything he does. Um, but especially in Maui. Um, and I think a lot of his personality stems from Johnson's personality. And Maui, uh, we will talk about Maui as well in a little bit, but Maui is very larger than life. Uh, the character of Maui in Moana. I mean, very larger than life, very egotistical, um, very self-important. Um, and, you know, he genuinely believes that he is the best. But Moana, as a central character, has to be someone we can aspire to be, someone that we can understand and relate to. And she achieves all of those things. She's a relatable Disney princess. She's more relatable than Cinderella or Aurora. And she's very similar, more in the vein of Jasmine, really. Um, she loves her people. She wants the best for them. But she struggles with her own wants and needs. She feels the call to the ocean, uh, which is something I think that every 16-year-old can relate to. And I don't mean a call to the ocean, but more, you know, wanting more from life than what they have. She wants to branch out from the destiny her community has for her but she never forgets her responsibilities to her people and to her island. Moana is a great role model for young people, not just girls, but boys too. And I think sometimes with the Disney princess line, sometimes that's forgotten, that it's great to have Disney princesses, really, in a way. As much as I kind of find them a little bit abhorrent, just from a kind of the fact that they're very oversaturated um, and it's all... It's all very pink and I'm not really a pink kind of person but I really love that Disney are diversifying their Disney princess line and I think someone like Moana who also as well um, has a very realistic teenage look. She's not hypersexualized. She's not wearing like really skimpy outfits. She's not kind of really pulled in at the waist. I mean, she does have that kind of wide-eyed innocence that you would expect from a Disney character, but she's not kind of hypersexualized. She's in a way, she's not like Jasmine because Jasmine was very hypersexualized, and Moana isn't. Um, and I, I really genuinely believe that Moana, as a character, is one of Disney's best characters. Full stop. Not just princess characters, but just best characters. Full stop. Having Pacific Island advisors, uh, as I mentioned, the Oceanic Story Trust, it doesn't necessarily mean that Disney listened to all of the advice. Because, as I said, the bottom line for Disney is always going to be money over being the most culturally sensitive that they can be. Um, and this is even though Moana does attempt to be more sensitive than most. It has a strong, kind, brave female character of colour at the helm. And Disney are attempting to amalgamate a lot of Polynesian culture from across the Pacific Islands, from New Zealand, Samoa, Hawaii, Tahiti, and all of which have slightly different interpretations of that Polynesian culture. Moana is set on a fictional island, but the culture and mythology is Disney's attempt to show real Polynesian culture on screen. But like the Pacific Islands themselves, the culture is vast. But... Compare Moana to Pocahontas and you can really see the improvement in Disney's cultural sensitivity over the last 20 or so years. I'm not going to go into Pocahontas uh, here because I feel like if I start talking about Pocahontas and Moana and the similarities between Pocahontas and Moana, uh, this would end up being quite a ridiculously long episode. But what I am going to do is I want to link to a video, um, I'm going to put it in the show notes, 
from the brilliant Lindsay Ellis. So Lindsay Ellis is a YouTuber. Uh, she has done loads of fantastic videos. I highly recommend you check out her channel, by the way. Uh, she did a YouTube video on Pocahontas and in that video compared it to Moana. Uh, they are very similar stories. Uh, to be honest, Lindsay Ellis is a lot better at this than I am. So if you've never seen any of her videos, please click the link in the show notes and listen to her analysis of Pocahontas, especially the part about the grandmothers. Um, and I will pop a link to that in the show notes. But to summarise, <laughs> essentially, Pocahontas and Moana, very similar stories, except Moana does it better than Pocahontas does. Uh, and Pocahontas, I'll admit, I've not seen it in a long time. I really don't have any intention of seeing Pocahontas. I would never kind of specifically hunt Pocahontas out. Um, but I think that they, they learned lessons from Pocahontas in Moana. There is a bit of an elephant in the room, generally, an elephant in this podcast, uh, so to speak, um, because I, I do adore Moana. And I think it's stunningly beautiful. I love everything about it, really. I love the characters. I love the setting. I love the music. I'm going to come back to the music. Um, but there are some things that I feel like I need to mention. Because despite Disney's best intentions and despite the advice and despite the attempt to make Moana culturally sensitive, Moana has had criticism from some Polynesian people. Um, and some of the criticism is especially scathing. And I feel like it would be very easy for me on this episode to turn around and say, well, Moana's great, and just leave it at that. Um, and I do genuinely think Moana is great. And then I started doing some research for Moana, and I realised that quite a lot of the culture that Moana is celebrating, because it is attempting to celebrate Polynesian culture, um it offended some people. So let's kind of quickly go into the reasons why. So uh, firstly, the depiction of Maui. So traditionally, Maui is a demigod. He's less of a deity and more of a well-respected folk hero. He is a trickster, but ultimately heroic and seen to have performed the very feats that he sings about in Your Welcome, such as catching and slowing the sun, bringing fire to the world and also creating islands. His origins and look vary from nation to nation, but he's usually depicted as a handsome young man. Um, normally young, a teenage kind of age. Uh, Maui is a cultural hero in Polynesian mythology. And Disney were really damned regardless of how they depicted him. But a lot of critics, uh, Polynesian critics especially, weren't happy with the image of a Maui who promoted offensive stereotypes of Polynesians as overweight. Um, additionally, Disney, as they tend to do, sold and promoted a Maui costume for children. Um, most characters in Disney have costumes that you can buy from stores, but the issue with Maui was twofold. So the costume was a bodysuit with brown skin and tattoos. The issue of allowing children to essentially dress up in brown face, I kind of don't need to go into why that's a problem, surely. The tattoos, though, offended Pacific people more. As I mentioned, tattoos are culturally meaningful to each person, just as contemporary tattoos uh, can be. I have two myself and they're meaningful to me. But the tattoos are more than just body art to Polynesian people. It's considered disrespectful in Pacific culture to wear the markings of people or places that you yourself are not connected to. Uh, additionally, the character of Maui remains so beloved in Polynesian culture that replicating him and his tattoos and then offering that to children was seen as deeply insensitive to the very cultures that Disney was trying to promote. Uh, additionally, the omittance of Hina, a goddess who often partnered Maui, uh, she gave him the power, uh, the abilities to do many of the things that he actually brags about in Your Welcome, was also a bone of contention for many cultural scholars, as was the depiction of happy natives with coconuts. But that was nothing in comparison to the Kakamora. An intentional homage to Mad Max Fury Road, by the way, the scene with the Kakamora uh, depicted as a savage but diminutive band of coconut-wearing pirates offended 
people the most. The Kakamura are, are actually a people. They are naturally short in stature. They are from the Solomon Islands and have actual cultural roots. Uh, having the Kakamura depicted as savages is bad enough, but linking them to coconuts in itself uh, is a racial slur against Pacific Islanders. That really offended a lot of people. Uh, as I said before, those very people Disney were attempting to showcase the culture of. And this is kind of where it goes back to cultural appropriation. Yes, it's great a company like Disney is investing in the stories of non-white cultures. And yes, it's fab they got the Oceanic Story Trust involved in making Moana not only a great Disney story, but also introducing the West, essentially, to Polynesian culture and mythology. That part is great. But... It's still a Polynesian story told by white people and that is always going to be an issue regardless of how many inclusive stories Disney tell. And that's not to say Disney should stop telling inclusive stories and giving voices to minority cultures. They should absolutely carry on. There, There is a fine line here but Indigenous people should also be allowed to tell their stories. I kind of feel like had Taika Waititi remained involved Moana would be very different in every way. Moana would be a completely different beast, uh, so to speak. Moana, we would not have this story of Moana, but we would have a story of Moana that came from a person of Maori heritage. And that would be completely different. I think that would be seen completely differently. I kind of went into that in a bit more detail than I planned, actually. Uh, but make no mistake, I love Moana. I genuinely think it's Disney Renaissance levels are great. But despite my love for it, I need to mention its controversies. And being honest, a lot of Disney animation is problematic purely because of what Disney has become. Uh, I do, however, think Moana does a lot of things really well. Um, and the main thing it does incredibly well is talk about environmental issues and our destruction of the planet. In Moana, Maui steals to feed his heart for the humans. He believes himself to be the hero because he does it. And through humanity's greed, the earth starts to suffer and Mother Nature bites back. I kind of see Tafiti as that kind of Mother Earth character in that she can be cruel, she can bestow destruction on ungrateful humans and she can create the forces of nature to destroy us. Uh, just like what's happening on Motunui, where the natural resources are becoming depleted. But she can also be kind and grow new life, but only when we treat her with respect. Our world is going through climate change because of us. Countries are experiencing famine and drought, others monsoons and other extreme weather conditions, meaning food can't grow. And that's because we're doing this to Mother Earth. Like Moana, we need to understand the plight of Tafiti, realise we're the problem and make it right. And unfortunately, it's not as easy as getting the heart of Tafiti and restoring it um, and making everything better. You know, we've got to do a hell of a lot more than that. But I feel like a story like Moana can help children understand why it is important to be environmentally aware. And it is important not to take too much from Mother Earth because there's a finite amount of resource there. And we just have to be really careful with how we treat Mother Earth and how we treat Tafiti. Um, because if we don't treat Tafiti well, we will end up with Takar. And Takar is not very happy. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that, but you know what I mean. Um, I feel like I've gone off on a tangent. Uh, so while I'm going off on a tangent, um, I guess it's time for my segment that I like to do. My obligatory Keanu reference. So basically what I do is I try to link the movie that I'm talking about with Keanu Reeves. Obviously linking Keanu to Moana, uh, I mean, it was kind of a bit obvious really because Keanu is himself of partial Hawaiian descent through his father. So his father was a guy called Samuel Reeves uh, who was born in Hawaii. Um, Keanu himself was born in Beirut. Um, and is a naturalised Canadian citizen. So he doesn't really have anything to do with Hawaii. It's just that he's of Hawaiian descent. Um, but that was the really the only way I could link him to Moana. So let me move on to the music. Because 
the music of Moana is one of my favourite, favourite things to listen to. Um, just recently, I've been listening to a lot of Hamilton. And there's obviously a very obvious link uh, between Hamilton and Moana. Um, and if you don't know, I'll mention it in a bit. But I've been listening to a lot of Hamilton. And coincidentally, because of this episode, I've also started re-listening to the Moana soundtrack. And it's just made me realise just oh, how wonderful Lin-Manuel Miranda actually is. Uh, what a man. Anyway, the score for the movie was written by Mark Mancina and the soundtrack songs are by Opataya Fawai, Mark Mancina and most famously Lin-Manuel Miranda, who at the time was fresh from his Broadway stint on Hamilton. Uh, and obviously if you haven't seen Hamilton, you need to. It's possibly one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in my life. Coincidentally, a few of his Hamilton co-stars feature on Moana. Christopher Jackson, as I've mentioned, is the singing voice for Moana's father. But Philippa Sue, who plays Eliza Schuyler in Hamilton, also features in additional voices. The soundtrack for Moana remains one of the best complete Disney soundtracks ever. And by complete Disney soundtracks, I mean... There are a lot of Disney soundtracks. I listen to a lot of Disney music, by the way. Uh, a lot of Disney um, songs. And I feel like most Disney soundtracks, you'll have maybe one or two songs that you really like. I will happily sit and listen to the whole Moana soundtrack from start to finish. I don't do that with any other Disney soundtrack. And I listen to a lot of Disney, as I said. I get a feeling when I listen to it and I can't really describe it other than it makes me really emotional to listen to the Moana soundtrack. It kind of gives me chills and and every time it gives me chills. Um, and especially, I mean, I love all of the songs. Um, I'm not going to start singing them or anything, but I love all of the songs. But especially uh, I Am Moana, the song of the ancestors. Um so you've got Rachel House at the start as uh, the grandmother Tala talking to Moana. And then the bit where Moana tells us who she is. Um, and then it goes into the traditional choir. Honest to God, like it makes the hairs um, on the back of my neck just kind of go up. I just think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music. Um, and uh, Opataya Fawai is... Toka Luawan. I hope I got that right. <laughs> and his New Zealand-based vocal group, Tavaka, features on the songs as well as a Fijian choir. It's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful music. Um, if you have not listened to the Moana soundtrack, listen to the Moana soundtrack. It's just wonderful. It's not just your welcome. Um, it's not just shiny. <laughs> I mean, your welcome and shiny are both great and... Um, and I think everyone knows Shiny is inspired by David Bowie, um, specifically the Flight of the Concords tribute at the Aspen Comedy Festival in 2004. And obviously, Jermaine Clement, who voices and sings for Tamatoa, is half of Flight of the Concords. So that makes complete sense. Uh, so Moana was released wide in the US on the 23rd of November 2016. It actually premiered on the 14th of November 2016 in Los Angeles. Uh, but it opened uh, during Thanksgiving and it opened at number one at the box office and it remained at number one for three weeks. Here in the UK, it struggled against Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And it only ended up making a modest £2.21 million in its opening weekend. And that was £3 million less than Zootopia would make. It ended up making $643.3 million worldwide. Uh, on a 150-275 million dollar budget so Moana was exceptionally successful uh, what it wasn't quite so successful on was award season uh, so Moana was nominated for a lot of awards um, I'm just going to go through the major awards so Moana was nominated for best animated feature and best original song at the 89th Academy Awards it lost to Zootopia for best animated feature uh, previous episode 29, Cuba and the Two Strings, was also nominated uh, that year. It was a very strong year for animation. You will know if you've listened to Kubo how much I adore Kubo. Um, and 
Moan also lost to La La Land's City of Stars uh, for Best Original Song. Moana was also nominated for the same awards, the Best Animated Feature and Best Original Song at the Golden Globes and lost to Zootopia and City of Stars respectively again. Um, It was also nominated for a BAFTA for Best Animated Film and it lost to Kubo and the Two Strings, uh, which I am not unhappy about (laughs) at all. How Far I'll Go did, however, net Lin-Manuel Miranda a Grammy though, so it's not all bad for Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think Moana is absolutely outstanding uh, and I'm not the only person who thinks so uh, because despite the controversy surrounding the cultural depictions in Moana critically it retains a 95% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes there have been talk of a sequel um, and I know Lin-Manuel Miranda's been in talks for a sequel but nothing has ever kind of been confirmed I mean I wouldn't be surprised if Disney don't do a sequel to Moana but then I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. But Moana is quite a self-contained story. I don't think they need to do a sequel. Right. So I'm quite mindful of the time. But uh, another thing that I like to do each episode is I like to get people involved on social media. And I like to ask the question, what do you think of the movie that I'm featuring? Uh, and I ask that on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And Twitter kind of blew up a little bit about Moana. So I'm going to go through Twitter. But first uh, is a little bit of audio from a friend of the podcast and previous episode guest, Andy, over at Geek Salad, who had so much to say about Moana that it couldn't be contained in a social media message. So over to Andy. Hey, um, it is Andy from the Geek Salad podcast. I had such a great time talking about Galaxy Quest that... I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about the Disney film Moana. But this time I'm going to do it in song form. I'm actually kidding. I will not sing because you'll get plenty of singing on my own podcast. But I did want to talk a little bit about um, Moana, which in my opinion is the best Disney animated movie since Aladdin. That's right. It's jumping over Lion King. Um, This is one of my absolute personal favorites. It has everything. An amazing song score by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Great voices. uh, Alali Cavallo and Dwayne Johnson, who I don't think gets enough credit for how good he is as a singer in this. He's already been proven himself to be a very adept and talented comedian. Uh, But the added singing... The heart of this entire movie rests within these two, within Moana and within Maui. And it just is an amazing movie about just self-discovery. And it does take a lot of different things that you don't see in the traditional Disney film. In fact, that they do make fun of those tropes about being being a princess because you're wearing a dress and you have an animal sidekick. It wouldn't be an episode of Verbal Diorama if I didn't mention Alan Tudyuk as Hey Hey, because he's Alan Tudyuk. And there's actually a wonderful piece in the behind the scenes where he's doing all of his chicken noises and then looks dead in the camera and goes, I went to Juilliard. And finally, I just want to talk a little bit about Jermaine Clement as Tamatoa, one of the most inspired villain songs I have ever heard in a Disney film. It it lends so much to David Bowie and Jermaine Clement's own band, Flight of the Concords, who did a fantastic song called Bowie a few years ago. Uh, the whole the whole movie is just an absolute joy. It is in my top three all time Disney movies, not just for the, the most more modern ones. And with that, I love Moana and I send it off to you. Thank you. Andy, for your thoughts on Moana. Uh, Right, moving over to Twitter. So we have at BLC Agnew, who said, The best animated musical since Beauty and the Beast, full stop. Not only is this the first time I watched a Disney film and was actively glad it was CGI animation rather than hand-drawn, but the one-two punch of I am Moana and know who you are still brings me to tears. Same. (laughs) Genuinely, yeah, same. 
At FWM Pod said, I just love Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords as the crab who sings shyly and Lin-Manuel Miranda's music is flawless. At GTTH Pod said, A beautiful movie, having a theme that follows the hero is a nice touch and crescendos perfectly in the finale. Funny, touching and a worthy addition to the Disney library. At Gundam Gaiva said, Zootopia and Moana came out the same year equals one of the greatest years for animated movies ever. Moana's soundtrack was grossly robbed at the Oscars. It is pure joy and emotion. Plus Moana herself is such a wonderfully layered character with a beautiful voice. At the Midnight Myth said, The best Disney villain song ever in shiny, brackets fight me, and I love seeing a young woman come into her power. At Derek Jones 198 said, OMG, I love this movie so much. Also another movie The Midnight Myth did. Seriously, one of my fave Disney movies of all time. Uh, and just to quantify that, uh, Derek is a co-host of The Midnight Myth. Uh, and The Midnight Myth's episode on Moana, by the way, is absolutely wonderful. So I would highly recommend you check out their episode on Moana. At the Peter Briggs, who is Peter Briggs, the writer of Hellboy 2004. You'll remember him from the episode that I did on Hellboy, uh, where we did a little interview, a little virtual interview. But Peter Briggs has some wonderful uh, insights into Hollywood and uh, a lot of very wonderful anecdotes and stories about stuff that you would never normally know about Hollywood. Uh, And uh, Peter said, because I I said that Moana is uh, probably the greatest Disney animated movie of all time, uh, he put, ooh, no, I like it, but Big Hero 6 and more above it. Uh, And then he added, I'm pretty sure I had the idea for Zootopia stolen from me as I pitched a very similar project to Disney Animation and every other animated company in town in 2005. I sold it to Radar Pictures, didn't get made. So that's quite interesting. I am planning to do an episode on Zootopia or Zootropolis or whatever, whatever it's going to be called. Um, And I will probably ask Peter uh, then for more of his uh, thoughts on Zootopia. Uh, especially if he had the original idea for it, because that sounds quite interesting. At Paul and Griff's show said, Feel it landed under the radar. The music is amazing. The story is beautiful. Favourite song being the one the crab does, shiny, and face, and the face the rocks the own child doesn't realise he's Maui is so touching. I'm not quite sure what At Paul and Griff's show is trying to say. Maybe that's, maybe I've, and the face the rock's own child doesn't realise he's Maui. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe at Paul and Griff's show you can clarify what you mean with and the face the rock's own child doesn't realise he's Maui is so touching means. Maybe, maybe there's a typo in there. I'm not sure. Um, at OSW Podcast One said, I've watched this movie easily 500 times. I have two girls that were obsessed every day, multiple times per day for months, and yet I never grew tired of it. It's visually striking, a wonderful story, beautiful music, and it has the rock. What a breakout performance by Orly Cravalo. At Cine Chat Online said, Amazing movie with one of my favourite Disney soundtracks. I only have to hear a short burst of You're Welcome to have it stuck in my head for the next week. At Rachel Herrera 11 said, I agree Moana is one of the best Disney movies in recent history. The music is excellent, way better than Frozen, IMO, and who doesn't love The Rock? I love the heartfelt story. I love that she is brave and she doesn't need a prince to rescue her. Hands down the best music of any Disney movie. Lin-Manuel Miranda did an amazing job on the music for Moana. Dare I say, best Disney movie soundtrack of all time. At Trailer Watt said, Love this movie still, even though my son, when he was much younger, just wanted to watch it just for the music and songs. The water animation is just stunning. And finally, at A Nightmare Pod said, I love this movie, although I may have seen it a couple hundred times. Riley loves it. The music is great. The rock is awesome. I love how naive and ambitious Moana is. Riley is her daughter. Um, But if Lorraine had seen it a couple of hundred times just on her own, I would completely have understood that there was nothing over on instagram and facebook um which is a bit disappointing but sometimes it just happens that way such wonderful comments on twitter uh, and thank you so much for everyone 
who has contributed to this episode on Moana. Moana is, to me, to coin a phrase from another Muscar and Clement story and also from Tamatoa himself, a diamond in the rough. It's precious and beautiful and really worthy of your time and praise. But like all diamonds, it has flaws. Um, It's nothing to detract from the movie. I still think it's really, truly a wonderful piece of work from the animation to the casting to the exceptional music, which tugs on my heartstrings every damn time. I just really wanted to feature Moana outside of an animation season, uh, you know, where you've got a group of wonderful animated movies kind of all put together. Um, And there is an animation season coming, by the way. It's going to be in January and February of next year. I've just finalised the lineup. I am absolutely delighted, by the way, with the lineup of the next animation season. Um, But it's always really difficult because there's so many wonderful animated movies in the world. Um, And because it's a fairly short animation season, it's always really hard for me to choose. Um, I'm so glad that I've talked about Moana. Um, I really hope that everyone has kind of seen how much I love Moana, despite the problems. Um, Because like I say, I genuinely feel like Disney tried. Um, They did try to make it culturally sensitive. Uh, They did try make a wonderful story set in the Polynesian islands. And I think they mostly succeed at that. The movie goes to great lengths to explain uh, the myths and the legends as in as in as much detail as it can, uh, because obviously it's got to appeal to children as well as adults. And I really do think Moana does. I think Moana is just a wonderful achievement visually and story wise and musically. It's everything. It's the whole package. But you have to still accept that there are things that people aren't happy with. But that doesn't make Moana a bad movie. It just means they made a couple of missteps on the way. Um, And because it's Disney, they were always going to. To me, uh, Moana is the movie that I would show my future children before something like Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. Because I feel like Moana has the better message. Moana has the better heroine. Moana has the better story. Moana has the better music. Moana is the best of modern Disney. By far. The last 20 years, Moana's the best. With maybe Zootopia a close second. Oh, and by the way, a movie that I've mentioned this episode is definitely in the animation season next January and February. So, um, and I've, I've mentioned quite a lot of animated movies, but it's in there so I'm not going to say what it is but look out for it next January February time I can't remember when it is but during those months um so I truly truly love Moana yes it has issues I'd be remiss not to mention them but honestly if this is what Disney is remembered for in 20 to 30 years if this is the next generation's Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast both of which have problems too by the way then I'm happy with that Moana is as good as that um it's just really a shame it came out in 2016 and got trounced by Zootopia. Um, anyway, thank you for listening to this episode. Um, as always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Moana. Uh, if you do like this episode or any episode that I've put out, by the way, uh, I would love it if you would take a moment to rate and review on something like Apple Podcasts. And a massive thank you to those who've recently given me some wonderful reviews and five-star ratings. It really is the best way to show that you love what I do. Um, It makes me feel like all of this hard work is worth it. Um, And for you guys, it's completely free. And it literally takes two minutes. Um, And the other thing you can do is tell a friend, tell a family member. If you enjoy Verbal Diorama, pass it on. As I have over 50 episodes, I no longer listen them all. Back in the day, I would list all of the episodes and I would say, if you like this episode, here's episodes on, blah, 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 blah. But... Uh, it really hurts my throat to list all these episodes. So instead, I'm going to try to recommend other similarly themed episodes that you might like if you like Moana. Um, so I can't not recommend episode 36 on Treasure Planet because that is another Musker and Clements Disney movie, although arguably it's not as good. 
I'll just be honest and say, Treasure Planet's not as good as Moana. It is still worth a watch and the episode is worth a listen. Um, I also did episode nine on Aladdin, but that was um, that was kind of a half and half episode. It was a bit about the original animated version, a bit about the live action remake. But that's not really a full verbal diorama episode. Um, I experimented quite a lot at the start of the podcast on sort of bonus style episodes, but I sort of quickly got rid of those. Um, so I don't really do the small episodes anymore. But um, if you are interested, uh, episode nine was on Aladdin. Uh, episode 17, which was last year's birthday episode on the Iron Giant, uh, obviously because it's the Iron Giant and it's wonderful. Um, I've obviously featured a lot of animated movies uh, on this podcast, but one that I am going to recommend instead is episode 49, which was The Muppets, because that also features songs by Jermaine Clement, who, as I mentioned, plays Tamatoa. Um, and I would implore you to check out any of the following. I'm not listing all of them that I did in the animation season, but um, I would recommend episode 29, Kubo and the Two Strings. It came out the same year. Um, it's just one of the most beautiful animated movies ever made. Episode 30, The Incredibles. Episode 31, The Lego Movie. 32, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Again, one of the greatest animated movies ever made. Um, 33, Hell's Moving Castle. 34, My Neighbor Totoro. 35, Spirited Away. They are all Hayao Miyazaki. Um, and also 47, Princess Mononoke. That's Hayao Miyazaki as well. Um, and episode 50, Toy Story. Uh, the movie that started computer-generated animation um if you compare toy story to moana you will just see how the technology has come on um give me feedback on my episode recommendations did i get it right did i miss any obviously i've i've done a lot of animation and i didn't want to list every single animated movie that i've ever done but uh let me know on social media what you think right next episode um so next episode we find out what happens to a toad when it gets hit by lightning um and another somewhat unintentional reappearance for Joss Whedon. Because um, that was a famous line that Joss Whedon wrote for 2000's X-Men. Uh, and X-Men is a movie that when I saw the trailer for it, I've never been more excited. To see the X-Men on the big screen for the first time as a fan, it was a big deal. Um, and while the franchise has had its ups, downs and middles over the years, the original 2000 movie... Is coming to verbal diorama next uh and this is after featuring two other x-men movies in the past so i've done dark phoenix and i've done logan but i can assure you there will be no yellow spandex in sight and if there is you can't see what i'm wearing so <laughs> uh, you can find any of my other 54 episodes in your podcast app of choice to stream or download you can follow me on twitter facebook instagram and letterboxd at verbal diorama if you wish, you're under no obligation to do so, but if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash verbal diorama. The tiers start at $2 a month and you get some wonderful perks. Um, a big thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. They are Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike and Griff. They are the demigods of this podcast. Um, and if you would like to join them and become a patron, you will also be a demigod in my eyes. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions at verbaldiorama at gmail.com or you can go to my website verbaldiorama.com or you can pop over to filmstories.co.uk. You can check out the magazine. There is a new issue that's just come out. It's got the legendary Brian Blessed on the cover. There is a little article in there from me. Please show your support to independent publications. Um, who are really struggling at the moment um, or you can just visit the website and click some links and generate some revenue that way um, or you buy, buy some magazines whatever you want and finally I have delivered us to where we are I have journeyed farther I'm everything I've learned and more still it calls me and the call isn't out there at all. It's inside me. It's like the tide. God, I really want to sing this. <laughs> Always falling and rising. I will carry you here in my heart. You'll remind me that come what may, I know the way. This is Moana. Who am I? 